At R2 Studios, we're on a mission to democratize history through podcasting. But making our shows for you requires a lot of investment. For every minute you hear, our team has spent countless hours researching in the archives, interviewing guests, writing scripts, and editing audio. Invest in us today so you can help us make the best history podcasts out there. Head to r2studios.org and click on support us to find out how. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. In October 1783, Thomas Jefferson visited Harper's Ferry in what was then Western Virginia. Earlier that summer, he had been elected as a delegate to the Continental Congress. And that fall, he was traveling from Monticello to Annapolis, Maryland, where Congress was meeting at the time. The Revolutionary War had just ended. And now that the United States was an independent nation, there was much to do. But first, Jefferson stopped to take in the view at Harper's Ferry. And what he saw amazed him. As he later wrote, The passage of the Potomac through the Blue Ridge is perhaps one of the most stupendous scenes in nature. You stand on a high point of land. On your right comes up the Shenandoah. On your left approaches the Potomac in its quest. In the moment of their junction, they rush together against the mountain, rend it asunder, and pass off to the sea. This scene is worth a voyage across the Atlantic. That was historian Jonathan Earle, quoting from Jefferson's description of Harper's Ferry, now West Virginia, the emotional halfway point of the Appalachian Trail. In the 1780s, Americans like Jefferson envisioned the town as a major transportation hub that would be vital for the young nation's development. But nearly 80 years after Jefferson passed through Harper's Ferry, and long before AT hikers stopped to marvel at its beauty, it became the site of a famous raid by abolitionists on the eve of the Civil War. Hello, and welcome to The Green Tunnel, a podcast on the history of the Appalachian Trail. My name is Mills Kelly, and I'm your host. As Thomas Jefferson noted almost 240 years ago, Harper's Ferry is an incredibly beautiful town, sitting as it does at the confluence of the Shenandoah and Potomac Rivers. If you hike a few miles north along the AT to Weaverton Cliffs in Maryland, you'll see one of the more spectacular views anywhere along the trail. From the cliffs, you can see the two rivers, Loudoun Heights in West Virginia, the CNO Canal, and the historic town spread out below. Trust me, that hike should be on your fall bucket list. For Appalachian Trail through hikers, Harper's Ferry feels like the halfway point of their hike, even though it's about 80 miles south of the actual halfway point in Pennsylvania. It feels halfway because it's in Harper's Ferry that hikers can stop at the headquarters of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and have their picture taken on the front steps of the organization's headquarters. This has become a tradition, and you can see 50 years worth of those pictures by following a link in our show notes to the AT Museum's database. 
But Harper's Ferry is also home to one of the most important historic sites in 19th century American history. In the fall of 1859, the abolitionist John Brown and 22 of his compatriots attacked the federal arsenal there, hoping to spark an insurrection against slavery in the American South. So who was John Brown? He's a religious zealot, and he also became one of the most profoundly anti-slavery Americans of the 19th century. I think you almost have to go to actual ex-slaves and African-American abolitionists to find more tenacious opponents of slavery than John Brown. For a white man, and I'm quoting Frederick Douglass here, he has suffered the pierce of slavery as you and I have, Douglass writes to one of his African-American abolitionist compatriots. He really believed in racial equality in a way that is truly, if not unique, almost unique among white Americans of the 19th century. He ends up coming up with a plan to, at first, bleed the south of its slave labor by setting up in the Appalachian Mountains and attracting enslaved people to escape. And then becomes basically a plan for a one cataclysmic assault on American slavery that he hoped would, in one fell swoop, destroy an institution that had lasted for centuries. But why Harper's Ferry? These days, it's just a sleepy little tourist town at the junction of two beautiful rivers. Even before John Brown came onto the scene, Harper's Ferry is just this very important nexus. It's an industrial center because there's so much natural water power. It is a place where the United States is manufacturing firearms for its tiny but growing army, one of two federal arsenals, so Springfield, Massachusetts, and Harper's Ferry, Virginia. And then it becomes a place where, kind of by accident, kind of because of this strategic geography, if you will, it becomes a place where the United States gets set on an inevitable path to civil war in the fall and winter of 1859-1860. Unfortunately for Brown's compatriots, Brown may have been a zealot, but he wasn't much of a military strategist. The idea, as much as historians like me can gather, because it's not a great plan when you give it thought, is to uh, invade the South hole up in the Appalachian, somewhere in the Blue Ridge, and make it known that you are armed, you have pikes, you have guns, you have knives. Any enslaved person on plantations nearby is free to come and join you and then raid to rescue kinfolk, other slaves, and eventually establish some kind of a unnamed free state in the Old South, which will be a haven for escapees and a place to base for further ambitious raids. So many problems with this plan. There aren't a whole lot of enslaved people in that part of the country. Why would you risk your own life or your family's life to go join some crazy Yankee up in the hills? He didn't pack lunch. He's not a great logistics guy. But he is audacious, and he does, in fact, cross the Potomac on the night of October 16th, 1859, to enlist this plan with 22 compatriots, black and white, and sets off on the raid. The Raiders were an amazing cross-section of society. Some atheists, some evangelicals, some old people, some young people, some literary folks, and some illiterate people. Brown's audacity and the bravery of his fellow Raiders were no match for a contingent of United States Marines under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee. Yes, that Lee. The raid ended almost as soon as it began. It's incredibly fast. The raid itself lasts 36 hours total. It happened so fast and furious, 
they take Harper's Ferry with no violence. It takes two hours to take over the town, the rifle factory, the, the arsenal. One of the first things the Raiders did was they cut the telegraph line. So, you know, that was smart. It's all going great for about three hours. Then a train comes going east. It's the one train bridge over the Potomac. There's not even one in Washington, D.C. at this point. So it's the only, it's the B&O Railroad. The train comes and John Brown meets with the conductor of the train himself. And John allows him to pass. And of course, what this conductor does is as soon as he crosses the river, he lights up the telegraph wires with news of this slave insurrection in Harper's Ferry. All his details were wrong. He said 150 people, raiders had taken the town, that it was a Negro insurrection, that it was brutality on the streets, but it was enough to raise the alarm downstream in Washington. They found Robert E. Lee on leave at his house in Arlington, and he didn't have time to get his uniform, so he goes straight on the train back, he and his band of Marines, and they get there really within, within 18 hours. And they're basically passing notes back and forth, a crack big enough in the engine house door that they can pass notes. Uh, they say, surrender, and John Brown says, hell no, and they exchange fire, and finally they, they get a battering ram. They get a battering ram, they bash through the door, and capture John Brown alive in the engine house. 36 hours after the group enters the sleepy town of Harper's Ferry. The Marines and the townsfolk went out of their way to make an example of the black men who fought alongside Brown. Of the people who survived, very few of these African-Americans made it. And, and the ones who were captured and who were shot during the raid were made an example of. Their bodies literally riddled with bullets from townsfolk and from, from Marines and left to float and rot in the river. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Brown was put on trial after the raid and convicted of both murder and treason. He was hanged for his crimes, becoming the first person executed for treason in the history of the United States. When hikers walk downhill from ATC headquarters toward the river, they pass the place where Brown's raid happened. Well, kind of. Everything was ruined during the Civil War and during subsequent floods. The carriage house that's John Brown's fort has been moved from its original position. It's been It, it was actually part of the Chicago Exposition of 1893, they brought it back brick by brick to where it is now, which is not the correct place for it. He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so true. He frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through. They hanged him for a traitor, they themselves the traitor crew. The relocation of all those buildings is just one more reminder that the historic landscape we pass through when hiking on the AT is often quite different from the landscape that existed 100 or 200 years ago. The Harper's Ferry that Thomas Jefferson, John Brown, and Brown's compatriots knew is much different than the modern hiker haven. As we hike through those landscapes, it's worth remembering that the AT and its surroundings have layers of history, and they're always on the move.
The Green Tunnel is a production of R2 Studios, part of the Roy Rosenzweig Center for History and New Media at George Mason University. Today's episode was produced by me, Mills Kelly, and the Green Tunnel's executive producers, Jeanette Patrick and Jim Ambusky. The archival music you heard was John Brown's Body, performed by Pete Seeger. Thanks to the Smithsonian Institution's Folkways Recording Collection for allowing us to feature this song, which appeared on America's Favorite Ballads, Volume 3, in 1959. You'll find a link to the full album in our show notes for this episode. Our original music was performed by Scott Miller of Swoop, Virginia, and Andrew Small and Ashley Watkins of Floyd, Virginia. Additional music is provided by Artlist.io. Thanks to Jonathan Earle for sharing his deep knowledge of the history of Harper's Ferry and John Brown. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you back here soon.